So last week, last week we talked about choosing to stop. How important it is to take the time to just stop, not be rushing from place to place all the time, thinking about where we've come from at point A and where we're going at point B, but just to stop where we are and pay attention to what God is doing here and now so that we don't miss out on something amazing that he might want to show us. But this week, we're talking about a different kind of stopping. Not the stopping out of choice, because you know it's time to slow down, but stopping because you've been stopped. Anybody like that? Anybody? No. We hate it. Um, Do you ever go, and I I think we all do this, but have you ever gone the long way to get somewhere just because you knew you wouldn't have to stop as much? Just because you you feel like you'd at least be moving, even if maybe it would even take you longer, more time to get there, but as long as you're moving forward, it just just feels better. I'm talking about this this week, and Christy did say I could use this example, so I'm not going to get in trouble. But um, this past week, she was on her way home from from the chiropractor, and uh, she was telling me how, in order to avoid some of the traffic and all the lights going south on 19, especially because it was, I think it was around, you know, 5.30 or so, and all the after-work traffic, especially around the grocery store there and everything, um, she ended up turning to go up Center Church Road around there by Jim and Chris live and down, and went all the way down, all the way over here to Thomas Road where it hooks in, and then going back, and I thought, wow, that's, you know, that's a really funny example of that because that's so much further, you know, to go around. In fact, I, I looked on the map, I mapped it out, um, and to go straight down 19 uh, to, you know, from the chiropractor to our house was 3.6 miles, and going that way to go home was actually 7.8 miles. Um, didn't have the lights, though. Um, of course, it actually turns out that the joke was on me, because as I was talking to her about this later, after I'd mapped this out, she said, oh, no, I wasn't heading home, remember? I was coming to get you um, at the church building, <laughs> um, because we had actually had our car in for inspection that day, and so she had had the car in and dropped me off and picked me up, and I was like, oh... Well, that's a slightly different story, so I looked that up again, and it turns out even though she thought she was going the long way, she actually went the shortest route possible to get from the chiropractor to the church building. So, um, yeah, so, but she didn't know it, you see, but the point still remains, it's still, the story still works, um, because she thought, well, I'm going to have to stop a lot if I go this way, I'm going to hit lights, going to hit traffic, but this way, it's, you know, some stop signs here and there, but it's a brief stop, and so it feels like a faster way to go, even if it's not uh, quite as fast. Um, it becomes even more important, um, you know, when you have kids in the back seat too. You know, when you have the, you know, the constant "Are we there yet?" Um, although, see, I thought I was real clever early on um, when you know kids started asking me, you know, "Are we there yet?" And I said, "Well, we're still moving. We're still on the road, so we're clearly not there yet." So they just changed it to "Are we almost there yet?" Um, so, you know, I couldn't, couldn't win there. But they really notice, and the times when, you know, they might be distracted with something, you know, reading a book, talking, you know, fighting with each other, I don't know, looking out the window. But then when you stop, if you get stuck somewhere, you're sitting in traffic for a little while, that's when the questions really start to come. How, how much longer? Because, you know, we're stopped. We feel like we should be there. We should be able to get out of the car because we're not moving. And so you start to do anything to you know, give them at least that feeling of forward progress, that, that movement towards an anticipated goal. I mean, it's tough enough for us as grown-ups, but you really want the kids to, to feel like we're actually getting somewhere so it's not too frustrating. Um, 
There are plenty of metaphors and, and images used in Scripture to portray Israel as that child of God. Um, Israel, my son. Um, in fact, when Moses goes to, to Pharaoh, what he instructs him to tell him is, hey, I, I want you to you know, allow Israel, you know, my firstborn son, you know, to, to come out to the wilderness to, to worship me. And that's where we get the, you know, that phrase, out of Egypt I have called my son, which is then more fully fulfilled in, in Jesus as well. God deals with Israel, my son, and as he deals with Israel, his son, he deals with this nation, this new fledgling young nation as a father caring for a child. Um, Those of us who have sons and daughters of our own, I think we're sure to see some of the, some very familiar familiar features of parenthood as he deals with them. You know, that, that early fragility when, you know, this newborn nation and all the different ways they could go, all the different dangers that are out there for them and wanting to protect them and care for them from that. As he tries to teach them, as he tries to teach this nation, but not overwhelm them at the same time. You know, like I like to, you know, want to teach Isaac math, but I'm not going to give him, you know, like start with calculus. You know, he moves them, he, he moves his people a little bit along saying, hey, okay, I'm going to be your God. And then later on, and your God, me, I'm greater than these other gods of these nation, other nations around you until he brings them further in the story. And he says, oh, by the way, I'm the only God. Those are all false gods. Everything you knew or you thought you knew about the way the world works. Well, no, it's actually a little bit different than that. And he moves them further and further and further along until he fully reveals himself through his son, Jesus, and gives them the full revelation of who he is. But he he brings this young nation along without overwhelming them with things they just couldn't understand. And, of course, any parent, you know, definitely recognizes the times when he has to deal with the whining and complaining when they inevitably get grumpy, you know, especially on a long trip as they're going there, leaving um, leaving Egypt and, you know, so like, oh, we're hungry, oh, we're thirsty. And, you know, Moses probably, you know, feels the big brunt of that. But even God has to deal with that as with his children. And then the big one, one that I think looks really familiar to a lot of parents, is what happens, we see a little recap of here in Deuteronomy 1 that we, we read a piece of. I, I realize that was a long scripture reading, but actually the real portion of it that I wanted to do was even longer. But then the real one I wanted to do was, you know, when it, first happened in Numbers, you know, 13 and 14, but that scripture reading would have been like half the time I have to preach, so I, you know, so, so sorry it was a little long there, but it was, I, could, it could have been worse, could have been worse, but as we look through that story, and I encourage you to do that, either read the rest of, you know, Deuteronomy 1 there, or even better yet, go back and read Numbers 13 to 14 to see the whole story as it plays out, and you'll see something really familiar in that. And see, God tells them, okay, go, it's time to go and take that land. That land that I said I've promised you, that I've been promising ever since I called Abraham, it's time for you to go into it. So they send spies into the land to go scope it out to see what it is God has sent them toward. And the spies come back and and they, they see that the land is good, but there are some strong people holding that land. And so we all, you know, all of us who grew up going to Sunday school or VBS, we know, you know, the story. You might even know the 10 were bad and two were good little song. And I don't remember it well enough. I'm not going to sing it now. But 10 of the spies came back saying, yes, the land is good, but the people that are there are too strong for us. 
And so they start spreading dissension among the ranks and start spreading fear among the nation of, of Israel, getting people worked up about the impossibility of their task. The other two, Joshua and Caleb, are really just begging the people to trust God, getting them to remember, okay, you remember what God has done for us so far. He says this land is ours. He says he's given it to us. Let's trust him. He's proven himself worthy of our trust. But for so many of the people, obeying means doing something hard. <laughs> obeying means doing something that I really don't want to do. And so God says, okay, fine. If you don't want to obey me, you don't want to trust me, well, then you can't have this land now. Back to the wilderness it is. And read one portion of what we read before, Deuteronomy 1, starting in verse 34. When the Lord heard what you said, he was angry and solemnly swore, no one from this evil generation shall see the good land I swore to give your ancestors, except Caleb, son of Jephunneh. He will see it. And I will give him and his descendants the land he set his feet on, because he followed the Lord wholeheartedly. And he goes on to say, and also Joshua, he will also get to enter that land. And he says, oh, and those children, that you say, oh, if we go into that land, they're going to kill us, and they will just slaughter our children. We have to do this for the kids. You know, that's, that's, that's the big trump card. It's like, oh, think of the children. And God says, no, those children that you're so fearful for, they're the ones that will inherit that land, because you haven't trusted me. To obey what I've said. And then he says to them, But as for you, turn around and set out towards the desert along the route to the Red Sea. It's like the biggest, I'm going to turn this car around in recorded history. I mean, that's the archetype right there. The father that has says to his children, I'm going to turn this around. And he does. He says, I've been leading you towards this promised land. This land that I said that I would give you. But now, if you're not going to trust me, then you're not ready yet. Turn around. Head back the way you came. We're going to be here for a while. And of course, then the part that, as you read through the story, and I encourage you to do so, the, the part that looks so familiar, I think, to almost all of us as parents, is that as soon as the punishment comes, as soon as the consequence for the action comes, they say, oh, no, no, wait, wait, we'll do it now. I'm ready. <laughs> I'm ready. I'm ready to obey God. Now that I see, now that the punishment's happening, just, just wait, wait, don't do that to us. And they say, well, we're ready, we'll go up and we'll, we'll go and take the land from these people just like you told us to. And Moses tells them, no, it's too late. You've rejected them. You can't just say, oh, now I'm going to obey now that I know the consequence of disobedience, of not trusting me. But the people, they don't listen. Moses says, the Lord's not with you in this. It's too late. You've made your bed and got a lie in it. And so they go up and they try to enter part of the land. They try to attack these people that are possessing the land and they're routed. It's miserable. They don't stand a chance because the Lord had said, no, you're not going to have the land now. What's done is done. It's too late. The consequence of your action, the consequence of your choice remains. And so there they are, stuck in the wilderness for a generation. Now, usually, you know, for most of us, I hope, our roadblocks that we run into don't last for 40 years. Most of us aren't stuck with most of the things that we're trying to pursue, most of the goals that we're headed towards. Most of the time, we do face delays, but 
they're not 40-year delays. But we do face roadblocks. We do face delays, interruptions all the time. And they drive us crazy. Or They drive me crazy. I can't speak for everybody. But I know they drive me crazy. Because we know where we're headed. Sometimes we can even clearly see that goal out ahead of us. It's just right there. It's so close. But there's just nothing we can do to get there. We are, we are just stuck. And we've just got to deal with it. Now, there's different kinds of roadblocks that we run into. Um, one, I'm going to say, it's that we get free-willed. Meaning, other people have free will too, um, and they're not using it very well. <laughs> and we bear the brunt of that. Because of someone else's actions, we have to suffer the consequence in having our own path blocked. Because others aren't using their free will very well. I will never forget, and some of you may have heard me talk about this before, but I'll never forget this trip when we, um, Christy and I, as we were moving to Maine, we left Arkansas, we were moving to Maine, um, we were getting towards the last leg uh, of our journey. We had stopped around the Philadelphia area, had stayed with Christy's grandmother overnight, and we were making that last part of the trip to get up to where we were moving. Um, And as we were going uh, through and around New York City, um, we decided not knowing any better, um, that we would cry and we would go across, you know, at, at Fort Lee, New Jersey, go across the George Washington Bridge. Um, after we got up to Maine, they said, no, don't ever do that. Take, you know, you got to go much further around, take the Tappan Zee Bridge. So um, you just, you know, I guess you guys probably know that. But um, so you don't, you don't, it's just, it's not worth it, you know, trying to get through that close to the city. Um, and so there we were coming up to the George Washington Bridge, and someone decided, apparently, to do something stupid and therefore get in an accident there on the bridge. Um, and then there were police and they were having to investigate something with it. And basically, I don't really know what all was going on on that part of the bridge. All I knew was that half the bridge, because it's like a, I think it's a double-decker bridge, um, one level of it totally shut down. That was a bad thing. Um, normally, not too big a deal, a little delay, not, not a big deal. So we're sitting there, just getting onto the bridge, and then we stop. And then, you know, creep forward a few inches and stop. And this wouldn't be such a big deal, except I had decided, well, you know what? Let's wait and get gas on the other side of New York City, because the prices are pretty high here. Um, and so as we entered the second hour of sitting on, uh, on the George Washington Bridge, I was getting a little nervous. Um, Said a lot of prayer during that time. It was just me. We were in two cars at the time, and it was just me alone with God praying really hard. And I said, Lord, don't let me, because it was, it was low. It was very, very low. And I was pretty sure that, okay, there was a literal roadblock here stopping me from getting me where I was needing to go. But I was thinking, okay, I'm going to run out of gas in the middle of the George Washington Bridge and the part that's still open. And then I'm going to be blocking the other half of the bridge, and I'm going to be killed by someone. <laughs> um, I'm like, I'm just, I'm going to die here on the George Washington. I'm never going to make it um, to Maine. Um, but uh, we did make. Obviously, I'm not dead. So um, we did. I mean, and you know, blessedly there was. You know, right as we got across the bridge, we finally make it through, and we stop at the first possible gas station. And I had never put that much gas into that tank at once. It was seriously. On fumes, but I was just, there was nothing I could do but sit and pray and hope that there was a really close gas station on the other side. It was someone else's actions. I had no control over this, and I was just stuck. 
Now, there's some other kinds of, of, of roadblocks, too. There's some that happen, like, I don't know if there was any great purpose to that particular roadblock other than, you know, maybe teaching me a little bit to spend a little more time in prayer, because I got to then. Um, but some roadblocks, I do think, have a purpose. Um, there's one great example that I'm sure comes to mind in Scripture when Paul is literally blocked by the Spirit of God from going where he wants to go. And see, what he wants to do is he wants to go share the gospel. He wants to go tell people about Jesus. But he's being blocked. In, in Acts 16, verses 6 through 10 says, Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mycenae, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mycenae and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over here to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. This was a clear purpose. Paul was seriously roadblocked multiple times because God said, I know you want to go there, Paul, and I know what you want to do there is good, but I need you somewhere else right now. Now, it's such a brief summary of what was happening then, but if I were Paul in that situation, I'd be going crazy. The places that I want to go to do something that I know is good to do, I'm being stopped. But, you know, I'm not Paul, and he probably handled a lot better than I would. At the end of that, though, at the end of being blocked, he saw that here is what God is calling me to do. We saw that, you know, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them in Macedonia. There was a roadblock for a clearly defined purpose. And sometimes, I'm sure in, in the interim there, they probably didn't know what the purpose was until they came to the end of that roadblock. Until then, it was just a roadblock. They were just stuck, doing the best that they could, until that purpose became clear. Now, sometimes, I'm sure that we are blocked for a purpose, and maybe at the end of it, we can look back and see, ah, I know why it's good that that happened. If I hadn't been stopped there, look what might have happened. Or look what I might have missed out on. Look what opportunity to to grow or opportunity to do some good for the kingdom of God I might have missed out on if I had been able to go my own way. But I'm sure there are plenty of times when we have felt stuck for a while. And this side of eternity, we might never know why. But maybe God was up to something and doing something to serve his greater purpose because he knew that we could stand to wait for a while. But then there are those other roadblocks that I think are the kind that we see here that the Israelites are facing. Some roadblocks are simply of our own making. Some roadblocks are just our own weakness, our own foolishness, our own faithlessness, stopping us from doing what we could otherwise do by the power of God, but we just don't trust that it's going to work out. And so we hold back and we put a roadblock in our own path. But even those, the roadblocks we give to ourselves, I'm fully convinced that those can be given a purpose. Maybe that isn't what God would have for us in his best of plans, his best of intentions. Maybe he didn't say, I'm going to stop you now so that I can give you this good gift later, so I can bless you in this way later, so that this great thing can happen later. Maybe he just looks at us and says, wow, that's not what I wanted for you. I wanted you to do better than that. But then he says, but I can use that. I can still bless you through that. You see, the real roadblock that Israel faced here was just 
a roadblock of fear, just that lack of trust. They didn't trust that God would do what he said he was going to do, even though he had repeatedly done what he said he was going to do. And so God holds them up for 40 years to teach an entire generation what it means to really depend on him and trust him. God says, okay, you don't trust me? You don't understand that you can depend on me? Well, your children are going to know. And when it comes time for them to enter the land, they will have learned that lesson because I'm going to go teach them now. I'm going to take your failure, your lack of trust, and I'm going to build trust into a generation of my people. The delay in the wilderness, I'm convinced, wasn't just a punishment. It wasn't just God being spiteful and saying, like, fine, you're not going to trust me. I'm taking my ball and going home. (laughs) That's not the picture of God that I think Scripture paints. You see, God cared for them. This was still his child, Israel. This is still Israel, my son, his people that he had chosen. And so, yes, he turns this car around. Yes, he sends them pointed back towards the Red Sea, back to wander in this wilderness for a generation. But he cares for them and he provides for them for every one of those 40 years. And think about it. They were in the wilderness we're talking about wandering in the wilderness. That's not usually a place you want to find yourself wandering for like a week, much less, you know, a few decades. I don't think there's any way this nation could have provided for themselves over that length of time in that particular land. So they're sent back to wander in a land where there's no way they could provide for themselves so that he could teach them the trust at the end of that 40 years that they lacked at the beginning of it. So what did they learn? As they're going toward Canaan again, here in Deuteronomy 2, verse 7, they're getting close to time to head back and try again. It says, The Lord your God has blessed you in all the work of your hands. He has watched over your journey through this vast wilderness. These 40 years, the Lord your God has been with you, and you have not lacked anything. Don't tell me that was just a punishment, that that was just retribution. No, he was taking them to school. (laughs) Say, like, for 40 years, you're going to wander in a wilderness and you will lack for nothing so that you will know when it's time to enter that land that I'm with you and I will do what I said that I'm going to do. And Moses goes on for pretty much the whole rest of the book of Deuteronomy here and he tells them of the law again. He reminds them of everything that God would have them do, what it means to obey a God who has shown himself to be trustworthy and faithful. And that's all well and good, but then towards the end of the book, of course, it takes a bit of a turn. Moses tells them the disaster that's going to come upon them if they turn away from God again. And also the restoration that will come when they return to God. And then he tells them, oh, by the way, that's exactly what's going to happen. You trust him now, you're ready to enter the land now, but there will come a day when you will forget to trust him, you will turn away from other gods, and you will see the consequences of of your actions, but you'll learn to trust him again. God's going to take you to school again because he loves you and he cares for you, and he's going to bring you back and he will restore you when you trust him again, after you've rebelled against him. And you can look at that story and say, wow, that is just a story of repeated, heartbreaking failure. (laughs) And especially if you think about God 
as a parent of this nation. And any father that would see their child repeatedly reject them, turn away, not heed wise counsel, and send themselves on a path of destruction, you know it's a heartbreaking story of failure after failure after failure. But I am strangely encouraged by their failure. Because see, I love to stand up here and say that all of us will just always trust God all the time. That as soon as we come to know God and see what He's done for us through His Son, Jesus, that we'll say, okay, God, I see it. I understand your love for me. I understand what you've done for me. And so I'm all in and I'm with you every day for the rest of my life. And as we do say that with the best of intentions. And I hope that we'll always be bold in pursuing God's will. I want that for us. And we do pray for boldness, but I know that being human... We're going to falter, and we're going to fail. We're going to look a lot like that nation that couldn't consistently hold on to that trust. And they had to go and learn it every generation. They had to learn that trust again and again and again. We will have our moments of doubt and faithlessness. And there will be consequences for those failures. I think most of us in here that have been around for a while have experienced the consequences of our own failures of faith and of trusting God. But the reason I'm encouraged by Israel's failure is that the consequences, you see, that's not the end of the story. The story of Israel doesn't end when they fail to trust God, they reap the consequences of their failure, the end. It doesn't work that way. Because the consequences ultimately Bring them back. Because God can take those consequences. They can take the natural results of Israel's failure, those results of their weakness, those results of our own weakness, and He can use them to make us stronger. He can use them to remake us, to shape us again into the people that He's called us to be. The people that, yeah, maybe we should have been to begin with if we had just trusted Him. But He can use our failures to make us into who we should have been the first time around. So, now I'm not saying we should seek out failure, clearly. (laughs) We don't excuse our lack of trust. We don't say like, oh, well, I'm just going to abandon God for a while and I'm sure he'll teach me something from it and I can just do what I want for now. No, that's, that's not what I'm saying. We don't excuse that lack of trust, but when it does come, because it will come, We take courage in the fact that we have a God who has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. We can take courage in the fact that we follow a Jesus who says, I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. Now, see, he didn't say, I'm with you just so long as you're getting it all right. You know, he didn't say, I'm with you except when you fail. And, you know, then you're on your own. No, he said, I am with you always. Always. And that includes when we mess up. That includes when we are faithless. He remains faithful. Because He doesn't want to abandon us. He can't abandon us because He loves us. So while we experience the consequence of our sin, our failure, our lack of trust in Him, we may wander away, but He stays with us so that He can teach us along the way to bring us back to Him. Because He's always with us, even when we're not fully with Him. To teach us, to guide us, to mold us, to help us learn how to trust 
when we failed to trust him. To bring us to the point of joining in with that man who said to Jesus, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. He's really good at that. So, now what do we do when we feel blocked? Because we will face those roadblocks. Either the ones inflicted by someone else, the ones that God sends our way because we need, them to, to, we need to stop for His greater purposes, or the ones that we just place right in front of ourselves, just despite ourselves. What do we do when we feel blocked? Especially in those ones where we fail to trust Him. When we put that roadblock in our own path, how are we going to respond? Do we give up? And we say, okay, this God thing, this discipleship thing, it's not getting me where I want to be right now. So I'm just going to go find another path. Or are we patient enough to trust that the God who will never leave us or forsake us, the Jesus who will be with us always, do we trust that he'll remain with us and see us through to the other side? And, you know, more than just exercising patience, do we even seek and even expect to learn something in our delay? Do we expect to come through the other side of this roadblock being better than we were? You know, we usually feel like we're just damaged by our delays, damaged by the roadblocks that somehow, like, oh, that's time I'm just never going to get back. Well, wasn't your time to begin with, but that's another lesson. But we feel like we have been injured when things don't go our way. But what if instead we saw that if we stick with God through this delay, through this roadblock, through this trouble, that we could only be the better for it because we've gone through this with our Lord. I saw someone say the other day, whenever our plans are blocked by someone or something, our true motives emerge. So delay may be a great friend in disguise. Do we let delay be a great friend to open our eyes to something that God's trying to teach us? Do we know that God will use any and every situation to bring us closer to Him? To transform us a little bit further into the image of His Son? Now maybe you're here this morning and maybe you've been stuck for a while. Maybe you feel like your life has just been stuck at a roadblock for a long time. But maybe, just maybe... You see that God has been slowly but surely, through that delay, He's been trying to teach you something about your need for Him. Now, if you have learned that you need to come to Him, if you've learned that God is trying to get your attention and you can't do this and you can't get through this without Him, and you want to come to Him on His terms, we would love to help you do that today. Or maybe you have come to Him sometime in the past. You said, I'm yours, Lord. I trust you with my life, my eternity, my everything. But your trust has faltered somewhere along the way. If you need your family to help you find that path again, or if you just need someone to just sit with you in patience, you don't have to wait alone. If you need someone to just be with you through the waiting through the learning. No, you are not alone here. If there's any way that we can help you this morning, if there's any way that we can help you draw closer to God despite the roadblocks and the frustrations and the troubles of this life, please come come and let us know how we can help you while we stand and while we sing.